if you look at something like Wikipedia as a public example where those guidelines are strictly enforced, there, there's a good reason for it, right? It's so that you actually have a repository of meaningful information that is easily discernible by everyone who goes to it because it's always going to follow a certain type of structure, right? So we've been kicking around this idea of whether or not leadership needs to change in this kind of post-pandemic new abnormal, as some have described it, new normal, new abnormal, a phrase that you guys know is near and dear to my heart personally, because <laughs> <laughs> I, I just love a good catchphrase. Um, and whether there's you know any facts or, or myths around leadership changing in a, in a changing environment. So what do you guys think? Yeah, I think it's, a, you know, Brian and I had uh, talked about this probably, what, a couple of years ago. Um, and Before the it, pandemic, actually. Or the was lockdown. it right before the pandemic? I, I can't it remember. Was. Maybe it was right when it started. Um, we were a couple of weeks in and everybody's like, let's go home. We'll all be back in the office in two weeks. And two weeks turned into, what, like two years. <laughs> and some people aren't even back in the office. And uh, I would say a lot of what happens for leaders now in this environment is a lot of their teams you know, like are probably remote, right? It's not that necessarily that what you do it as a leader itself, your leadership traits and strategies, it's it's maybe the tactics that you have to change, right? Maybe since all your teams are remote now, you got to check in more often over Zoom um, or do more video conferences, um, something like that. I would say a lot of what you do probably changes as a leader from a tactical perspective, but from like your overarching leadership strategy, um, I don't know if you would change stuff too much, right? Leadership is still leadership, whether everyone's sitting in the office or everyone's remote. And we've seen this for years. There's organizations that are completely fully remote. You think of Basecamp, right? They've never had an office, but they have products, they have development, they have engineers. You think of all the big five consulting firms, right? They hardly have offices and they have consultants that travel everywhere um, who are actually hardly ever even in their own physical office. They're at a client's office. Um, so I'd say, you know, leadership is still leadership. It's just the location that changes. Yeah, I, you know, here's part of my feeling about that. As a leader, you uh, set objectives, right? There, there, are, there are goals for every team. There's some kind of performance measure that goes along with meeting those goals. And there's communication along the way, whether it's coaching, instruction, feedback. All of those things still need to occur. For me, part of the myth that I've seen that's come out of, you know, how do we now lead in the, the new abnormal? We've got this vast remote workforce. It's we've got to add more meetings to the calendar because that way we know that people are working. Well, if, if you're actually being effective as a leader, you've established the trust. <laughs> people know what the expectations are. You're managing to those expectations. There are performance measures where you can see if things are getting off track. And if there's some kind of delivery that, you know, you as a direct report have that you're responsible for, well, then you'd better deliver it. But, you know, from a leadership perspective, I've never cared whether someone is getting their, their work done eight to five or, you know, if, if there's something that they have to do uh, that um, is required, you know, for their own 
personal schedule, hey, as long as the work's getting done and the work's getting delivered on time, and I know that the quality of work meets the performance expectations, then all of those things, you know, to me, that that has never changed. And it doesn't matter whether you've got a 100% remote workforce or a partial remote workforce or you're all sitting, you know, in close proximity to each other. Yeah, I tend to agree um, with, with most of what both of you started off here with that, you know, my team in my, in my day job when I'm not doing podcasts is uh, we're in a hybrid. We just switched over to this hybrid workforce. So I have some members of my team going in a few times a week, a few fully remote. Um, I'm fully remote. Uh, we, my, uh, my family and I made that decision once it was offered as a, as a workplace flexibility. My boss goes into the office more days than he doesn't. Um, his boss goes teleworks more days than she doesn't, but she's hybrid, right? So it's a, it's a very fluid environment. We're figuring some of that stuff out, right? You know, when there's three people on site in the conference room, the rest of us are on a on the phone uh, or a video call. How do we make sure all the tech's working right and, and that everybody still, you know, has the opportunity to feel heard and, and all those sorts of things. So um, what I was kind of thinking about as, as you two were talking was, uh, and this, this is going to seem like a cliche argument, but the leadership doesn't necessarily change, but maybe the management does a little bit, right? So it's those, it's those tools and techniques. Um, you don't bump into somebody in the hallway and have an off-the-cuff conversation. So are you maximizing the touch points? Um, as a supervisor, I have one-on-one -on -one meetings scheduled with my employees. That's probably something I would have done, whether we were in the office or not, but making sure we make those meetings that they're, that they're useful and, and, and fruitful and, and and good discussions becomes ever more important when you do have those touch points because you're not seeing people every day the way that you might, uh, especially when some of them are back in the office. So um, that's how we've been kind of handling it so far, making sure I'm looking out for the technique part of it, um, making sure I'm, um, you know, I've said in the past, there's, I don't, some people work 35 hours a week and knock it out of the park. Some people work 60 hours a week and do a good job. Um, I like to try to let my team, decide which one of those types of folks they are to your point, Brian, you know, as long as the work's getting done. Um, but you can't just, uh, in the Marine Corps, we used to call our high performers fire and forget. Um, and that started out as a good thing. Oh, that's a fire and forget Marine, but then you can't forget them either. Right. They have needs, they have things that they want um, from you and from the organization that you have to be attentive to. Oh, John, I thought you were going to say, you know, that you, you're, uh, <laughs> you're like the 10 hour guy. Uh, get stuff done. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, I, I wish I was. Eight and a half. Yeah, <laughs> I'll joke aside, I, I think that, you know, like when you have that mixed hybrid environment and, and, you know, you talked about the serendipity conversations and everything like that, it's really easy to leave people out of, of communication um, when they're fully remote. And, and to make them make sure that they feel like part of a team member. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I know I've been a part of organizations in the past. I worked at a large consulting firm. It was like, okay, if we're on a video meeting, and this was like 10 years ago, they're like, if you're on a video meeting, everybody's on the video. Everybody has their laptop open. Even if you're all in the same conference room, you all get your laptop out and you all are on camera. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I think, you know, taking some steps like that to, to make sure that people who are fully remote are fully included, um, leaning on possibly more written communication, uh, project management tools like Teams and Slack or, or you know, ClickUp Monday are, are a great way too to make sure that communication is happening where everybody can see it. Because the other thing too, you realize when you're outside the office too, is that email is a tool that leaves a lot of people out of communication loop as well too, because it's not easily 
available to everybody. People get dropped off. The the uh, reply alls people aren't added. Um, it's just not really a good collaboration and environment. Yeah, I, I think that that's really essential, Nick. You know, having uh, a collaborative tool, and it doesn't matter what they what it is. There's you know many different flavors of it, but being able to centralize information that needs to be shared, and that also allows you to have a continuity of the conversation, even if it's just fragmentary, right? It gives everyone else the opportunity to be able to kind of dip in, scroll through, <laughs> go back, find things that might be referenced to go into a wiki page or a shared, you know, note, uh, notebook or whatever it is, um, so that everyone does have the opportunity to have that continuity communication. Uh, it's always been critical to me whether or not I'm physically in a work environment with folks, but it's become even more essential, I think, um, with disparate teams. And, uh, you know, I work in an environment today where I'm the only person in the city that I'm in uh, for the company that I work for. So, you know, we're, we're all spread out all over the place and across multiple countries. So, uh, but, you know, do we, do we work effectively? I think that we do. And it's because we do have those collaboration tools as a central part of what our internal work process looks like. And, and that makes it much easier to manage too. There's always a place that you can point to that's, uh, you know, that, that clear repository. Yeah, I think that's important. And making sure that folks are, are using those tools, um, I would say appropriately, not, not maximally. Because uh, I think there's kind of a dark side of all of this is that there's almost an over-communication or a, or a feeling that I need to communicate every little thing. Um, you know, as a supervisor on a communications team at a large organization, I probably get 200, 250 emails a day, um, which is way more than it would have been, in my opinion, um, prior to the pandemic when we were all in the office because we would have had more meetings or you would have poked your head into somebody's office, right? Um, and, you know, of those 200, 250 you know, a, a small percentage of them really require my actual input or attention. Um, so as a supervisor, it's on one hand, nice to be copied on things and in the loop and that I can go back and reference. Um, same with, you know, our, my organization uses Teams um, and we have some other, you know, SharePoint, other collaboration software. It's great to have that repository of information. Absolutely. Um, but there is a risk of, of over communicating sometimes or, um, one thing I've noticed, and I'm guilty of it myself, is I'm in a meeting, um, but I'm also still on my two monitors, and I can also be doing that chat over there while I'm in this meeting, which is something I would have never done in a physical meeting in the workplace. Um, you know, I might have checked the text or an email if I was one of 50 people in an email in a meeting, and I wasn't paying attention. Not that I've ever done that. But um, there's there's much more of a uh, a feeling of urgency, uh, I think, for, for some folks that are not in the office. Um, you know, there's a, you guys know, I love a good quote and I'm going to butcher it as I always do and forget who said it, uh, an economist of, of some kind, you know, uh, actually, yeah, anyway, made this point that um, information consumes attention. So um, an excess of information creates a poverty of attention, mm -hmm. which I thought was just like a really remarkable way of, uh, or, or an insightful way of, of looking at this problem is excessive amounts of information causing a feeling of urgency, more stress, uh, 
you know, I love working from home personally, um, but I know folks in my organization that feel it's dehumanizing. They're constantly moving from one meeting to one meeting to one meeting because everybody feels like everything needs to be a meeting, yeah. um, which is, I think, a point you made earlier, Brian. So um, my personal opinion to wrap this up, and I'm interested in your guys' thoughts, is this whole hybrid remote opportunity is a net positive, um, but there's definitely some guardrails we need to put in for ourselves, especially, um, but but for our teams as leaders. So I'm, I'm curious if your guys' thoughts on what some of those guardrails might be. Yeah, no, Brian and I had talked about this before, and I think it's important when you have uh, like a hybrid team of people working from home, that's when work agreements become even more important than they do when, you know, everybody's in the office. It's like, especially like you're talking about teams and like Slack, and there's this need to feel to always be on, right? When somebody sends an instant message, it's not like an email, they're expecting a reply back immediately, they can't see you typing. But I think it's worth having an agreement. They're just like, hey, you know, if you send a Slack message Monday through Friday, operating hours, you know, we expect a response within an hour or something, right? We're not expecting instant communication. Um, and I think if you set those expectations out ahead of time, and there's been gone through with both the employee and the manager, then it's an easier transition because they know exactly what's expected of them. It becomes super more difficult when stuff's just kind of clouded and, and it's kind of like, hey, we sent you a message. And then they start watching the team's indicator status bubble, right? They're like, yeah, oh, oh John went inactive eight minutes ago. What the heck is John doing? Uh, and John yeah. could be watching a YouTube video about how to do something actually that for his, for his work, right? So he's not mm -hmm. moving his mouse. It's okay. Um, it, it, like I said, working agreements are just super important, especially when you get to that fully remote or that hybrid environment. So people know exactly what is expected of them. Yeah, you nailed the first part of what I was going to say, Nick. Um, and working agreements is also something that tends to have kind of this fluffy connotation for certain people, because I think in the, in corporate speak, it, it has had a history of some of that, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of a check the box kind of thing for a lot of organizations. It's, well, we've established our working agreements for a team. Well, it, it's really important to be thoughtful about what those things are based on the type of work that you're doing and based on how your team has to interact. Right. And uh, I think Nick gave a couple of great concrete examples uh, of that. I, I think one layer deeper is actually providing some training. And I'm talking about moving beyond guidelines. I'm talking about actually providing some training with some concrete examples for how you expect communication to take place. So perfect example, uh, John, you mentioned teams in your work environment. So in teams, you know, you can instantiate your, your wiki as one of the tabs that's available in your team's channel. You can, uh, you can have a shared notebook in there, right? Um, having, some actual examples that you front load into those things so that people have a reference point. This is what we expect from these types of entries. And by the way, here's the type of work or here's the type of delivery that you're responsible for that we expect this kind of entry to correlate to, right? Mm -hmm. So that it's, it's not like you've got like a dozen different flavors of people who are spitballing <laughs> their style of communication to throw things in. It's no, we, we want it structured in this particular way. It's not to be draconian about it. It's to make it an effective form of communication. If you look at something like Wikipedia as a public example, where those guidelines are strictly enforced, there, there's a good reason for it, right? It's so that you actually have 
a repository of meaningful information that is easily discernible by everyone who goes to it because it's always going to follow a certain type of structure, right? I think it's important to spend time doing a little bit of training with your team in the workplace as well to ensure that you've got those kinds of parameters built into what the expectations are. Yeah, I like that, Brian. And um, the phrase you guys probably heard me use before that, that comes to mind for me is, you know, freedom within a framework. Um, you do want those frameworks, you want those structures, but you don't want them to be so overbearing. Uh, you know, at my organization, we tend to call them rules of the road, you know, the IT rules of the road or the, you know, I created some rules of the road for, for your virtual presence, you know, Nick, your example earlier of everybody get out your laptops and be on camera. Um, mine aren't exactly that specific, but the expectation for me is if your camera is working and you don't have, if you're not feeling drastically under the weather or something, at which point I would encourage you to be on sick leave anyway. But um, if we're sitting down for a meeting one-on-one, I expect your camera on. I want to, I want to see you. I want to interact. If you're one of 50 people in a meeting and that group you're meeting with, their norm is to not use the cameras, then go ahead, leave it off. Right. So um, if you have a speaking role and you're presenting, People should be able to see, right? So little stuff like that, but um, but there's flexibility built into that. I don't think I've ever, maybe once I've, I've sent somebody aside and they're like, hey, your camera's not armed, you know, usually because I think they actually forgot, not because I'm saying, well, you know, why aren't you on camera? So um, anyway, I think you need to l- allow for a little flexibility in there. And the example I was thinking of is, um, again, we just kind of did our return to the office a few weeks ago with my organization um, for those folks that did. And my boss got up and said, hey, just so you guys know, now that I'm physically in the office, I'm going to be physically going to meetings, which means I won't be at my computer. Um, I won't be responding to chats as quickly as I probably did while I was working from home. Um, so I, he just you know, was setting that expectation. You know, don't expect an instantaneous response. And um, we kind of followed up. We all kind of had this group epiphany, which is you know, none of us should feel that way either. You know, if, if you were here in person, we'd expect that periodically you're not going to be sitting at your desk because you're going to be at a meeting or grabbing lunch or doing something otherwise work-related. So, hey, guys, whole team, like none of you should feel the need to respond immediately um, if something comes in, unless it's truly that urgent. Um, and surprise, surprise, where we work, things are rarely, if ever, that urgent. Um, there's there's not a whole lot we do here that, if we're being honest with ourselves, couldn't wait 24 hours um, without drastic, uh, you know, um, what's the word I'm working for? Consequences. Slow day. Speak for yourself, um, John. For for yeah. folks in technology, that that statement is probably not true many times. You're right. Um, it's it, it's but it's knowing when those things are right. You know, if the sure. server's melting down, we need to get on it right away. Everybody better get here. Um, but answering that email about something that's three weeks from now, you can probably wait. Right. Um, again, I work in communications, so we're putting together press releases and blogs and various other products, updating web pages. Um, but if the server were melting down, we'd need to go to our emergency comms to let our customers know that IT is working on it, right? So there are, there are instances um, and knowing, you know, to your point earlier, Brian, about training your team, when when is something urgent? Um, you know, what are the things that, that meet that criteria that, you know, you're going to be expected to respond early or, hey, you might be on your flex time, but I need you to come into your computer and, and do some stuff. Um, so again, that training, setting those expectations. And the bottom line is, look, if it's really that urgent, I'm going to let you know. <laughs> I have your personal <laughs> cell phone number. Um, and at least in my field, that's those, those instances are pretty rare, which is nice. Yeah, I, I would say like even on, on the IT side, right, that can be, uh, depending on what, what you do in technology, 
Um, you know, if your data center operations, if something might be more urgent <laughs> than it would be for somebody who does help desk support. But like you said, having the frameworks and letting people know like, hey, this is this is an urgent matter. Um, and the way I look at it too, right, is like technology itself has made it really um, apparent where we want things instantly, right? Instant message. There was AOL instant messenger before and like G chats. And now we have teams and we have Slack and people expecting instantly. Um, I always tell people reward the behavior you expect to, right? If you're going to respond to every team's message, you get 30 seconds after somebody says it, you're, you're setting that expectation. Um, that's the way it's going to happen. Right. Um, and I'm a fan of, you know, like if, if something's burning down, I have my, my cell phone, believe it or not, actually has a phone function on it. And somebody will call me physically <laughs> on the phone if the server is melting down. Um, so uh, Imagine I, that. I feel Wait, like, you know, like, for calls. I know who, who said that, right? Um, <laughs> so I always feel like, you know, that there's got to be a little give and take in there too, right? Like mm -hmm. as an employee, as yourself, you, you do need to like make that barrier sometimes between your work life and your personal life. Like for me, I know if I'm out with my kids and I'm doing something, maybe I'm at like a school play for my kid. If you send an email or a Teams chat, I'm not going to look at it, right? Like it's just like I need to be present in that moment. And we're like that when we're in on something like Teams too, right? You'll be in an instance where you'll be in a meeting that says you're presenting and somebody will send you a chat message asking you a question. Um, it's, it's just like still being respectful of everyone's time, right? And allowing them that chance to, like you said, John, to be present, to be there, to be available. Well, again, that's why those working agreements are so important. It, you know, they at times may sound fluffy, but it is worthwhile taking the time to spell it out for the team and actually have those specific types of conversations. Uh, if you're in the middle of doing a presentation, don't use I am to communicate with that person, right? Um, or if there's a, a telepresence indicator that you have that can show that you're in a meeting or if you've got some other kind of custom flag that is an identifier, you know, that allows people to, to understand, oh, okay, in this context, it means this. And, you know, these other actions have to result from it. Um, SLAs, I think, are another thing that I'm, I'm just hearing being touched on here that are important to have a discussion about as an organization as well as within a team. And, you know, depending on how your, your team is structured, those service level agreements, which can include responsiveness and especially outside of normal working hours, uh, having clear definitions around those things and, you know, what the expectations are that go with them. Um, I think it's also important, you know, to be able to clearly communicate those within the team and who's responsible for them, as well as out to the organization that you may serve or your clients or whoever it is. So that um, that's just, you know, easily understood by everybody. And then the one other thing that I wanted to touch on that I heard us kind of going down that path with a little bit, um, you know, particularly uh, since the lockdown, uh, part of what I've found is a lot of folks, myself included, have their butt locked to a chair most of the day. And you actually have to have some kind of reminder <laughs> to get up and move around other than just taking a bio break. And so, uh, so within teams that I've worked with, it's important that that's also part of the communication process, right? There's an expectation that you're going to get up and go away from your desk for a while. 
And, you know, if you're, if you're working a standard job in the United States, you've got two 15 minute breaks and an hour break, you know, for your, your lunch or your meal. Um, take that time. Don't just spend the entire day that you're working, grinding away at your computer, you know, and that's, uh, it sounds a little funny that that's something that has to be said, but it is uh, something I've observed as an outcome of lockdown. People have tended to work far longer hours and take less PTO uh, as a result of the convenience of being able to work from home. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I think that goes a little bit of what Nick was talking about with, with personal boundaries. Um, and, and again, for me to, to go back to my point, you know, again, not working in a server room that melts down, hopefully, um, you know, I, what can wait, um, what, what really is urgent and, and what impact is, is feeling that urgency having on perhaps your mental or even physical health. Um, are you sitting there working at the computer until nine o'clock at night when your work day is supposed to end at five, but I just feel like I got to get all this done because I have all this information. Uh, I think it was Jim Collins who talked about the, the urgent many versus the vital few. Um, and, um, you know, this goes back to the training point. That's something I'm working on with my team. You know, I'm here to help you identify what really are the urgent, the, the vital few that we need to get done. Um, depending on your level of the, in the organization and who you work for and what you're doing, there there might be some of that urgent many bucket that that needs to happen. It's not just something you can you can ignore. Um, but there's probably some things on that list that just feel urgent. They don't have to happen right now. Um, I always think about this, this funny story of, uh, one of my graduate school professors who was a uh, helicopter pilot in Vietnam and he ran, you know, at least a, a part of a squadron. And he told, he told this story about, there was this crazy maintenance report they had to do every single week or other week, whatever it was. Um, and meanwhile, they're flying op tempo, crazy missions day after day after day. There's just no time to actually do this report. If he's actually going to effectively do his job, it was make work. So he wrote the first one, the second one, the third one. Eventually, he just started changing the cover sheet and turning it in every week. <laughs> and it took them like half of his tour to figure out he wasn't doing this report. All the maintenance was getting done. The helicopters were falling out of the sky. He was a great leader. But finally, someone called him out. And, well, what the heck's going on? He's like, well, it took you six months to catch me. So clearly, you weren't reading these anyway. This isn't a useful, a good use of my time. This is just somebody deciding they they think they need this thing. So um, anyway, I don't even think, he, I don't know if he got in any trouble or anything like that, but uh, it was just a great story about really separating for yourself and sometimes taking that risk. Hey, you know, what are some things I can put in a bucket um, that I'll get to when I get to so I can actually provide some ROI for the team or for the company? Um, on my team, I, I want that to be a conversation. I think that's the trust piece. And that's really the big part of this with the virtual hybrid type thing is trust. You know, do you have trust with your team that when they get a request like that, they're going to either make the right decision with it or bring it to you? Hey, hey, John, or hey, Nick, hey, Brian, is this, is this actually urgent or is this something that I can reprioritize? Um, and then eventually you're, you're hopefully building those folks and, and teaching and training them to be able to make those decisions more effectively for themselves. You may have just set a new standard for me with that story, John. You know, it's, I'll, I'll call it the TPS report factor. There, yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, you gonna burn uh, this place down, Brian? Yeah. Uh, as long as I've got a staple, I'm good. 
<laughs> a red swing line? <laughs> Not the Boston, right? It jams. <laughs> exactly. You got it. <laughs> Too funny. So what are some resources that you guys find uh, valuable that, um, that have addressed this very topic that we're talking about? Are there any? You know, for me, it's um, organization type stuff. And, and you know, going back to this idea of the, the vital few, um, I've recently gotten to the, you may have heard of bullet journaling. Um, it's a whole journaling system. Uh, Ryder Carroll, I think, is the author of the book. And, um, you know, I've started following that kind of protocol. And it's, it's just an easier way of tracking tasks in a given day and prioritizing things. Um, and you can kind of lay out your month. Um, so for me, in this high pace environment, which probably isn't exactly your question, but but thinking through what do I want to have done at the end of this month, um, so that okay, uh, you know, to use my my refrain, I can cut through the noise. There's a thousand things that need to get done, um, but these are my I, I provide myself some clarity then on these three or four things that I want to get done this month. Um, and there's some good books on that. I think one's called Deep Work. Um, another one's Essentialism. Um, we actually have, we, we stole one of the diagrams. I think it's from essentialism. There's a circle with a bunch of arrows going out in every direction. And then there's a circle with like one or two arrows pointed towards strategic objectives. And, you know, we want to be more like the one with three or four arrows getting things done instead of just dispersing our energy in all sorts of different directions and not getting anything done. So, um, for me, that, that mental model and, and some organizational tools like that and getting clear about what do I want to accomplish, um, has really been tremendously helpful in, in not getting bogged down in this virtual um, world, which, which to a point I made earlier, can be a bit dehumanizing, right? We're not actually in a room feeling all the emotions. We're just getting tasks via electrons. Um, so that's been really useful for me. Um, how about you guys? Yeah, I go, Brian. And it's, it's a couple, it's a couple books we've talked about before, probably remote, right. And rework both of them by, uh, Daniel is it David or Daniel Hannemeyer Hansen and uh, Jason Freed, the guys who started uh, Basecamp, and you know they're, they're short reads, and it's kind of like the John Acuff book we were talking about here before we started recording. Real quick, short quips, and I mean they're a company that has been full or remote from the beginning, um, so it, it's got good little tidbits in it. I don't agree with every single thing that's in the book, but they go through the thing too about you know like communication and writing is the most important thing when you have a fully remote team because people are working asynchronously. Uh, they're not working at the same time. Um, so there, there's lots of good little tidbits in, in both of those books. And I know, Brian, you have mentioned both of them, at least in one case or the other as well, too. Yeah, they, they would rise to the top of my list for sure. Uh, I'm, I'm interested in bullet journaling, John. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check that out because I haven't heard of that before. So uh, I, I'm, I'm always up to new methods. You know, yeah, the, it's one of those, um, it's, it's, you can kind of make it your own thing. It, you know, it's, it's a lot like what I said earlier, that freedom in a framework. Here's, here's how it works for the author, but you can make it your own with some of these foundational principles. I found it tremendously useful. That's great. The one that I'll just quickly add is getting things done. Uh, you know, that's, uh, um, uh, probably, probably the one thing Classic. that I'll never forget from that book that has continued to serve me is if you've got more than two tasks related to a single delivery, you've got a project. <laughs> I like that. 
that's that's great too. That's a great framework. And people who want to get into like Scrum and doing any type mm -hmm. of Scrum project management, I always recommend people to just look at that because a lot of times with projects, the get things done method uh, is perfect for everything, right? It's like, okay, if you have a subtask and it has two other tasks in it, then like you said, Brian, that's its own project. It's, it's not part of that. Yep. Yeah. I'll have to check that out. I'm not sure I'm familiar with that. Uh, I mean, I, the concept for sure, but uh, I'm not sure I've, I've written in that. The The other thought um, that made me just, just spurred for me was, I, I think it was in that book, Deep Work, that I mentioned earlier, but I may be misremembering is, um, maybe, uh, now that I'm about to say this, I think the book's called The One Thing or What One Thing. Um, so it is a different book, but imagine the number of people that don't actually get a full, complete thing done in a given day. So that was a real eye opener. Hey, get one thing actually done every single day. It doesn't have to be a huge project, but you know, maybe it's one concrete task on whatever project or projects you're working on. You do that in a given year and with weekends and holidays and vacation, hopefully you're taking some for your mental health. You're getting 270 complete things done in a year. And that's pretty darn good um, when you look back on your performance reviews. So you know, that's not possible every day. Sometimes we do as supervisors have to task switch and, and get more than one thing done. But if you can set yourself that goal and give yourself a little grace that you don't have to do 10 things, just get one concrete thing done in a day, um, that can be a real a real boost for your, for your mental health, uh, in my opinion. Well, with that, I think we can all feel good about finishing this episode. Perfect. Look at that. <laughs> awesome. Uh, with that, if you're listening to us on uh, any podcasting platform, if you could just go ahead and leave us a review, uh, rate us, whatever. Um, if you're watching us on YouTube, um, go ahead and subscribe, like the video, um, or down thumb it, leave trolley comments, whatever. Just, you know, <laughs> leave us some feedback. <laughs> we appreciate it either way. And with that, we'll catch you on the next episode. If you do one thing today, like this episode. Yes. <laughs> Watch. <laughs> <laughs>